Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, former WWE head writer and metal sports creator, Tommy Rocha. And now, here's your host, Rob Hospani. It's Rob. The road to WrestleMania is here. And thank you for tuning in once again to Squared Circle Pit. I have a very special episode for today. Now, if you happen to follow us on social media, follow me on social media. This is a one-man operation. And social media is facebook.com slash squared circle pit. Twitter is squared circle pit, no E in circle. You may have noticed that I teased a special guest who is in the video of a one-night stand video, the original ECW one-night stand, where Sandman came out to enter Sandman. And I promised that one of the get that my guest would be one of the people in that video. The person that I'm talking to today is not in that video, but the person I was referring to in that teaser was Bubba Ray Dudley, who was going to be the person I was going to have as my guest for this episode. But at the very last minute, I uh, finally was able to lock down this interview with Tommy Blacha, and we actually spent a bunch of time talking about Elimination Chamber. And because of the timeliness of what we talked about, I'm going to be pushing back the Bubba Ray Dudley interview, which was awesome, to two weeks from now. And I'm going to post the interview with Tommy now. And now, if you're not familiar with the name Tommy Blaha, you are definitely familiar with his work. He was the guy who took over when Vince Russo left WWF at the time. And he wrote WWF storylines. He was on the writing team for about two years and was involved with a lot of the big stuff that happened between 99 and 2001, including, most famously, he was the person who delivered Mae Young's hand. (laughs) And he also was involved with the Triple H Stephanie wedding storyline. He shares a bunch of cool stories about working with Vince McMahon and the nicer side of Vince McMahon that you don't typically uh, happen to see. And uh, a lot, a lot of cool stuff. We talk a little bit about Death Clock and the the similarity to wrestling. And before we get to the interview, I want to mention that if this is your first ever episode of Squared Circle Pit, I highly recommend checking out the archives because the most of the episodes are pretty timeless. It's not like we talk about a specific recent event. It's just general wrestling talk. And I have a ton of wrestling personalities. I've built up quite a queue of wrestling personalities, including my most recent episode was with Eric Bischoff, who ran WCW. I also have had Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, Frankie Kazarian on the show, and a former WWE announcer Justin Roberts. And on the metal side, I have a bunch of fun conversations with metalheads talking about their love of pro wrestling, including Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse, Jamie Josta, Zach Weil, Killswitch Engage's Mike D, Jacob Bannon from Converge, and even Neurosis' Scott Kelly. So a ton of great stuff in the archives. But right now, let's get to my chat with Tommy. Now entering the squared circle pit, a man who has lived a comedy fan's dream and a wrestling fan's dream. I have Tommy Blanca on the line. Am I pronouncing yeah. the last name right? Tommy Blanca. Blanca. Well, you said you're Russian. It's yeah. Blanca. You know, Blanca. Blanca is a is a pesky fly, but it's Blanca. But who who says Blanca? Sounds like a vampire. But it, it means <laughs> it's Polish. It means the metal tin, or like a policeman's badge is a Blanca, or mm-hmm. a, a sheet that you make cookies on is a Blanca. So it's right. Blanca. Yeah. Let's say Blacha. Whatever. 
that that must be that must have been a fun life of having to explain to people how to pronounce your. It's, <laughs> it's not too bad. You know what it is? It's like uh, I'm in the Midwest, and sometimes then my sister would change it to Blacha, and then people would call me Blacha, <laughs> and then I would say Blacha, but everyone puts an N in it, so yeah, whatever. It's not it's it's not too traumatic. It's <laughs> not like, you know. Yeah, and when when Street Fighter came out, you could have been like, "Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm yeah, like I'm a Street Fighter character. I'm Blanca." Sure. Yeah. Everyone puts <laughs> an end in it. They, they they love to. So I mentioned it's so traumatic for me. <laughs> for those for those who haven't who aren't up on their IMDb, I just want to mention some of your your credits. You were a writer on Conan. Were you the lead writer on Conan? Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. No, uh, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's head writer, not lead writer. Oh, head writer. Really stupid there. No, it's a <laughs> lead guitar player, head writer. No, I was a, a, a writer, uh, writer performer for like four years there, four or five years. Okay. Yeah. You also worked on Eric Andre, Moonbeam City. You yep. co-created Metalocalypse. Yep. With with Brendan, and of yep. course, you do a bunch of the voices on. Metalocalypse, including my favorite, which is Murder Face, and and, oh, and Mother Murder Face is actually my favorite, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> Stella Murder Face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My my mom's name is Stella, mm -hmm. and uh, I we wrote that episode, and I remember just uh, writing that one, and there was like a a scene where he kind of hates his mom, and and he's like is looking at her chewing food, and he like starts to strangle her because he's like, oh, I can't, I yeah. can't stand the way she chews. My sister got kind of bummed because I was like, just the name Stella. I was like, oh, that's a good name, Stella Murderface. And then my sister was like, dude, is that how you feel about mother? And I'm like, no, god damn it, it's just fuck. It's just like just the comedy. name worked. <laughs> yeah, like I was doing some secret thing. I'm getting back at my mother. <laughs> so that's not true. <laughs> and you also you worked on the uh, Ali G show, which is the most flawless series in my opinion, with the the oh, HBO cool. one. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I wanted to bring you on here, this is the Squared Circle Pit, which is, yes. of course, exploring the connection between metal and wrestling, is you were the, would it be fair to say you were the head writer of WWE when you when you joined? Well, when I went there in 99, 2000, uh, uh, it's kind of funny. There wasn't really titles, but I took over for a guy named Vince Russo, and of I course. guess you could call him the creative director or the head writer. Mm -hmm. At the time, we were just behind the scenes or creative they didn't really because there was only a few of us this was before they had the whole writing staff like they had yes, the whole sir. structure and everything so i wanted to actually talk to you about that because that was a very pivotal moment in wrestling history it was vince russo jumping ship from uh wwf to wcw he said at the time he yeah. was overworked and and he needed a break and, and just wanted whoop punching my mic here he just wanted a change of pace so he leaves WWE is in like disarray. They don't know what to do. Like they've kind of entrusted their entire writing to Russo. And then they brought you in. How did you find out about the job? Well, I'll tell you that it's a, it's a interesting little story. Basically I was working at Conan and I had, I was at the time. Now every Mark knows all the lingo, but I knew the lingo a little better than most at the time because it was still somewhat of a kayfabe world. But uh, I grew up with uh, some friends in the business, so I was like wisened up as a, as a youngster. So, and I was always pitching, you know, 97, 98, like, hey, we should have wrestlers on. And if people forget, like now, 
like wrestling is seems like kind of mainstream but it really was looked down upon in a lot of ways in like 97 98 and like ew you, you know you you like wrestling what's wrong with you that's that sort of uh, uh, vibe but um so I was always like pitching to Conan like man just these guys are like they're more charming they're funnier they're bigger and crazier when they, you know you, we have all these like second and third guests that are like you know lame sitcom actors that you know that uh, no one cares about Let's get some wrestlers on there, and I would cast wrestlers in bit. I I cast the Big Show in a, in a bit as a babysitter, and just I was always like, kind of like trying to like just get that impact through those guys, and uh, so we cast Goldberg uh, as a guest and helped produce a segment, and that's when I kind of uh, 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 met him, and then uh, I met Shane, and kind of uh, then I pitched like, oh, uh, I was leaving Conan to to move to California, and I was like. Uh, we should have Vince on as a guest. You know, he's a compelling guest. So I had Vince on, and I produced a segment, and I was just kind of like, uh, well, here's what you should do. And I knew, like, some of the lingo, and he was like uh, – it was really thrilling because he's like, well, how can we be in touch? And then – so he called me and said, like, why don't you come on down and uh, go to a couple shows and consult and, uh, you know, uh, we'll give you a good rate. And I'm like, well, fuck yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I went and met him at his office, and I really didn't have plans to work in it. I was actually – uh, leaving Conan and go, and just moving to to Los Angeles just to pursue you know uh, whatever I, I really liked it there but I wanted to you know try some other stuff and move to Los Angeles and uh, and Vince just like I well, went to a couple shows and uh, and it was really weird because it was just kind of like who when you when you're in, it's like 1998 and you you are you know, on the road and you go to Vince's office, meaning like in the arena, you know, when you go backstage, you set up like, here's catering, here's a trainer, Vince's office, you know, they set it all up and you're just walking in and out of his office. People are there like, who the hell is this guy to, gets to walk in and out of Vince's office? I didn't even realize that. Like, it's kind of already like, oh, you know, people just don't do that. And I, I kind of came in in a weird, in a weird way just through like personally meeting him in this, you know, yeah. odd circumstance and, and talked wrestling with him. So he was like, yeah, come on down. And so you essentially pitched stuff. him on like some storylines <laughs> when not really, or like, what, just, what, what, what was the, the, the gist of the conversation when you were saying like, Oh, you guys should do this and this when you had him on Conan. You know, I can't really remember. I just was kind of being a, a, a cavalier smart ass. I was mm -hmm. saying like, Oh, the gold dust gimmick is, you know, is blown up. Great. That's good. I like this. And, we just had a conversation and I kind of like, yeah, I think that's, you know, that works for me. And I didn't really, I can't even remember, but I just yeah. remember like having a loose, good conversation about, you know, hey, uh, you know, like, and I, you know, threw some stuff around like, oh, when, you know, when I was a kid in Detroit, you know, of course we had, you know, uh, uh, the Sheik's promotion, but uh, I, I knew my friend's dad was one of the Mongols and I knew this and that. And, and he threw some names and just kind of, I, I think it could at the time. Like, oh, this guy can, you know, seems to know what he's talking about. And uh, uh, I think I had a couple other good experiences with, like, casting wrestlers. And, like, so they just thought, oh, you know, always looking for someone who's... Uh, right. They, they were looking for a little more mainstream, too, at the time. Because, like you said, there wasn't a lot of mainstream respect for wrestling at the time. I feel, it was so big, but it was a very insular world. You would never see, like, wrestlers on MTV that much or, or on the late night talk shows the way you see them now all over. So you have, no, sorry. Yeah. It, it was, there's a few things going on. One was, it was, it was like, well, right before I, I got in, it was getting, it was edgy too. So it was kind of like, 
There was guys like Mushnick at the New York Post and and the Parent Teacher uh, Council. So it was it was like kind of persona non grata for advertising world, but it was right. so big with the numbers. So it wasn't like this inclusive thing like it is now. Like they wear pink along with the NFL for you know breast cancer, and it's it's you know this big thing that's all just you know into the fabric of American corporate you know structure. Now it still was right. kind of like a weird you know, circus stepchild thing, which I, you know, I sort of half like really enjoyed, you know, but, uh, so yeah, it was, it, it wasn't anything so specific. It just kind of like, you know, it, it was big enough where he just came and said like, let's bring this guy out and see what happens. You know, I don't think there was any super plan right. really. And, and this and was so, while Russo was still there. Russo's you... there. So I go and, and it's kind of odd because you're like, Russo's almost like, well, who's this guy? Right. You know, Vince doesn't really say, you know, I'm and I'm just like literally going to a couple shows consulting. So I'm just meeting people. And it's so crazy in, in the terms of like, you know, and, and here's a lot of the reasons I think it was better than it was like it was up to the guys themselves to like, here's your interview. You get over yourself and this is happening and that's happening. It wasn't all so planned out. It was planned out, but it was like there was improv there, too. Yeah. People put stuff in their own words and. You know, that's the time honored thing was like, you know, it's up to you to get over yourself, you know, however you, you see fit, you know, hit some bullet points of, you know, we got to mention the pay-per-view or things like that. And so I ended up like producing a couple segments just because I was, you know, I had worked at, you know, was adept at that. And hey, this would be funny. Do it like this. And it was really odd. And so I kind of like I just thought like, this is great. I got paid and I, I went to like a show in Louisville and another show and then, you know, had travel and in. And then like traveled with them to the next venue and and met everyone and was kind of like and meeting people and uh, and uh, but it was still was kind of odd like who's this guy who's this guy what you know like what's going on and and so and Russo was kind of like uh, standoffish a bit because he kind of was like I don't know what's going on who's this guy and then we kind of just talked and I said like yeah I'm just you know I'm the guy from Conan who helped some of the wrestlers get on and I'm you know I'm moving out to California so but I'm just consulting a while because he you know i, I want to do that that you know who who doesn't want to do that and i had plans to leave in a couple months and so i was like oh okay fine and i'm like yeah i guess i'll go again you know in, in the next I, I think i did like two the monday night raw and then tuesday they would tape smackdown actually they didn't start smackdown yet i, I can't remember exactly the the timeline anyways i went to right a, yeah smackdown was the reason that russo quit because like once that started he found it was like too overwhelming to write two shows a well, week that's his. So I'll that's tell his... you this. That's his his party line. Ah. Some, some of that's true. I'll tell you <laughs> what I think. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear. I don't it. think it's bad. I, I think Russo quit because WCW threw you know a huge a amount of money. money at him. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the ninety percentile of it. <laughs> uh, what well, you know was he overworked? This that sure. Let's say you know, but there was no like you know obviously it, you know it's not like that. No, there's there's nothing to do about it. You're overworked, and that's that period. So, and you know, and it's a it's a it's a better thing to say, I guess, uh, than in the long run. But you know, uh, who knows? But you know, that's that's the bottom line. It just right. was like, and it was WCW stealing. You know, being um, competitive was very competitive, and like, hey, right. let's, steal, let's steal their creative team and throw an exorbitant amount of money at it. It's just like a it's like two teams in a division. Oh, I overpaid for the you know your linebacker. Now you don't have him, and we have him. You know, that, I think that was pretty much basically it. But um, but it was an odd thing. What happened was, 
So I'm kind of like, well, hey, man, it was nice doing all this. This was fun. It was just like, a, you know, a, a couple weeks. And I'm getting ready to, you know, move. So it was like a handshake agreement, right? There was no contract. Just come hang out. No, it, it, yeah, well, it was just like uh, uh, just week to week. It wasn't even like there was no agreement. Right, and that right. Was fine. Just come on out and consult. And, you know, and and so then what was really odd was um, and it wasn't even anything kind of like this guy is going to be here or replace. So he just wanted to see what I thought. And he, and he had a lot of money. And it was like, you know, come on out and see what happens. And uh, uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, this has been cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna split. And, Ru- and Russo himself was really odd. He remember because the I was living in New York, and then the next week, the sh- week of shows coming up were, were at uh, Madison Square Garden on Monday, and then uh, Tuesday was in uh, uh, Nassau Coliseum, Long Island. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm probably gonna just, you know. Maybe stop by and say, you know, say hey to everyone, goodbye or whatever, you know, and just, you know, that's fine. I don't feel like, you know, I want to keep doing this. So and and Russo said, like, no, just 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 hang on. Just go go to TV this week, New York. And, you know, just just go to just do that one. Get get paid consulting doing that one. I'm like, well, you know, I actually want to get some of my stuff together. So I'll just stop by. But, you know, I really don't want to do that. And he just was like, no, just 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 do that. Trust me, just do that. Do those two, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's weird. And come into Madison Square Garden, and Vince is like, oh, come here. I I, I go meet in Vince's Jade's office, and and uh, he's like, uh, well, Russo, and uh, I forget the other guys, some other guy's name, Ed Ferrara, Ed Ferrara, and uh, no, there was another guy too who uh, uh, left with them. He was basically in a studio, whatever. Uh, he's like, they've they've left. And, uh, you know, they're gone to WCW and like, you know, we're, we're left without a show, which Russo told me later that wasn't true. He left them a show as far as it being written, whatever. But uh, so I was like, oh, that's that's crazy. And he's like, come on, man, let's let's you know, let's let's get into this. So we kind of wrote out a raw and yellow pad of paper in the office there. And he's like, you know, and I remember he's like, I need you, man. And it's like, oh, that's weird. And I remember calling my girlfriend at the time going like, oh, I was going to meet her for lunch or something. And I was like. No, I'm I'm gonna, I'm screwed this weekend. I just you know, I'm gonna help him out with this and and did a Madison Square Garden show and was up at the production table and then like the next day, he's like, well, what do you want to do or you know and and I was like uh, talking about giving uh, uh, draws and uh, Prince Albert a push and they, ah those guys are funny and he pukes in a bag and did something with D'Lo Brown and, and it's like okay so I was like starting to like just like wing it and bring stuff and was like oh this is crazy. And then that, and then on Tuesday, that was the the day that Draws got paralyzed in in a match there in in uh, Nassau. And then I was like, oh, that like freaked me out. And then I, I was I remember driving home. My girlfriend at the time was a. Uh, uh, I met her at a bar, and I got lost in Staten Island. Came back at like three in the morning, and just like it seemed like I had been gone a month. And I was like, wow, I think I'm gonna start just working for these guys. I just think I suddenly shot to the top of the pro wrestling world, even though like the previous like (laughs) Monday, I just wanted to leave and go have lunch. And it was, so it was just like, boom. And that was that. And so, you know, I worked there for, honestly, it was so fast paced and, and, and there was such like a vacuum of no one there doing stuff. We were just writing them on uh, yellow pads and, and uh, man, I, I didn't even get paid for, I didn't even have a deal or get paid for a couple months. 
And then I really had to be like, well, we need to start out some kind of contract. And it was great. It was so old school. Shane, like, said, like, here, write a number down on this pad. And, I, you know, I won't tell you the number, but, you know, like an annual salary. I wrote it down. And he's like, okay. And I was like, fuck, I should have written three <laughs> sure. times as much. Yeah. Like, let's, you know, because it was good. And and just uh, then Brian Gewertz, uh, who, uh, who worked there many years, he came in pretty quickly. I can't even remember how. It was so whirlwind, you know, like probably a three weeks or stuff but you know the the ratings were exploding and it just was going like through the roof and everything was working and yeah you know, this was just essentially a- like business-wise the most successful period for WWE. like russo gets all this credit for uh like the attitude era and turning business around business really blew up after he left i feel like like during this era right well yeah i, I would agree with that but i think what to be fair there's mm-hmm. a trajectory. It, to me, it, it, the analogy is like if you got a, you had a, 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 you know, a classic, you know, the '70s Steelers or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got a lineup. First of all, the 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 credit goes to the lineup. It's just like the dream lineup. Look at it. That right. Way. Yeah. Like the people you were writing for. Yeah, you had, you know, I mean, you got your third, you know, I don't even like to explain it like this mid card because that that that's antiquated to me, you know. But, you know, you got. You know, people like, oh, yeah, the the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian, they haven't even said a word on Mike yet, you know, and then like, oh, Jericho's coming in. And then like, you know, you got guys that are like, oh, Steve Blackman's not even in, you know, everyone, even the like, you know, 20th guy on the roster is great. Yeah. And they're all they all have a character. They're all over. They're all over. They're all, you know, tough as shit. Something's, you know, and then it, it just was like and also there was this competitive thing where it was that back and forth, which you cannot duplicate wcw wwf at the time mm-hmm. and then and then you, you know you go in the locker room and like holy shit there's a you know uh, uh ben juan eddie guerrero they got them you know guys are wanting to come here so they're looking at like what did they do in their pay-per-view and you know so they're trying to one-up them and then you know just you guys that, are watching the competition like you're still keep, like the even... competition and and we're just starting to leak ahead so it was all that perfect storm mm-hmm. of of all the stuff and the and you know the uh, you know, like uh, the the first ladder matches, like with uh, uh, you know Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys, the way they were like, wow, we got to really step it up to be to be you know heard because all this you know competition's so crazy. And you know, I didn't even mention like The Rock and and Austin and and you got someone like Triple H who's taking like a kind of a I don't want to say a backseat role, but he's like kind of being like, oh, those guys need a heel because they're so over and they're so dynamic and like an anti-hero. So you got like someone who doesn't get a little enough credit for that era sometimes in, in my mind, which is like Triple H being like, oh, he's just like, you know, selling to these guys. And he's like, you know, he's a big, huge guy who is just, you know, selling to the top tier at that time. And then you yeah. let alone you got like, oh, the Undertaker's hurt and he's going to come back. You're just like. You know, you just have so much stuff to, you know, it's it's just like a football coach that's just like, oh, my God, I got, like, all these Hall of Famers yeah. on the rock. You so, had the best talent. Right? Yeah, you, you just touched on so many things that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, well, just, that, so to be fair, just, yeah. to, not to, oh, just off, to bring it back. Yeah, that, that's kind of set in motion. So, you don't, you know, sometimes, you know, you could say, like, it wasn't until Russo left. So it's giving Russo prospect at the same time saying like, well, the roster is what, you know, gave the trajectory and, and put everything together. And, uh, and, and, and also, you know, when it comes down to it, I, you know, if you want to percentage wise, you know, the rock and Steve Austin take at least a big, you know, 60% chunk of the credit for all that, you know? And then once 
they're so over than you know everyone else is like everyone's stepping up their shit you know uh, constantly so it was just like a perfect storm of 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 good stuff and so man we and we even had you know all the side fun stuff my my philosophy is always like oh you need like you know the a lot of the the gaga and the stuff you know in between because you can't you know just have like all these burner matches and that stuff was like a, a blast and the may young stuff and yeah you, know, you just... delivered may young's hand that was <laughs> yeah. you you were the doctor i remember yeah, yeah i was the paramedic <laughs> did you now okay let, let, let's just dive into this storyline really there's a few sure. storylines i want to talk about yeah, so so much uh th- were you responsible for this may young uh pregnancy story with mark henry and all or was this just like everything is basically a collaborative effort well, I would say almost everything's a collaborative effort, but I, I do take credit for like a couple things. And one of them was like not not the like, oh, we're going to have a May, December, uh, you know, or uh, mm-hmm. raises romance. And <laughs> I can't sometimes I can't even remember how that actually came about. It came about, I think, a little more organically because Mark Henry used to like to do poetry. And it was kind of like a, a juxtaposition of like, oh, this big monstrous guy. But he's he's all about like the women insane poetry. And then like, let's hook him up with May Young and. But I did, I do remember in in a meeting saying like, "Well, what do we do now with it?" And I'm like, "Well, what if she gets pregnant?" And Vince, you know, and Vince would take his glasses off and look at you. And you don't know if you're, <laughs> if you freeze, you don't know if he's going to be like, "God damn it, get real, man!" Or that's great, and he loved it. And and then we we're, you know, the and the Bubba's uh, Bubba uh, uh, the Dudleys hated him and. Oh, and I remember saying too, like that's uh, she can take a bump. Let's put her through a table with a with a a wheelchair, and you know, and uh, <laughs> Ray just loved it. And and then just you know, for whatever reason, sometimes you don't exactly know, but like like Vince just was like, this thing's got to end. I don't know where it's gonna go. You know, the the pregnancy and like okay, so, so, so you didn't, you didn't know what the conclusion was. You were just like, let's get made pregnant and then figure it out from there. There was so much of that because you just are juggling so many storylines and stuff so hot. And you're just, you know, when you really look at that, like, man, you got 40 on the talent roster that are, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much on all the time, you know, and, and others waiting in the wings and, you know, something's going. And yeah, and especially something like that, like, you know, we didn't have a conclusion. I kind of was like, oh, you know, well, soap opera fashion. How about, you know, I was like the Dudleys put her through you know the table and she has a miscarriage and that could be heat and for some reason i don't know and i don't know why someone either got in it's not really important vince's ear or he made a determination everything runs through him but you know of course and he's ah, it's got to end and i was like okay and then he's like it's gonna be she's gonna have an obstruction and you're gonna deliver it and it was almost like i was like is this a half perk or half punishment for me like, <laughs> you're gonna be the paramedic because i did a paramedic thing a couple times and like oh, all right you know and then he was like what is what is the obstruction and then he went over to uh, uh um our magic guy as they put it the guy who has all the uh props you don't call him props but uh he comes back with this rubber hand and like it's i got it it's gonna be a hand and we're gonna put in the slime and the gimmick noises and so that was the decree and so you know i, I so that was I a vince call it. the hand was yeah. the vince call it was the vince call and you know like i to this day i don't know if it like was i being punished or was <laughs> i being you know it, yeah. it works at sometimes and it's so like okay, well that's that did because you see the all so, the oh sorry go ahead no just amazing that you got to realize is always like three two sometimes three hours live tv monday 
set up the show Tuesday. And at the time, we were doing Sunday Night Heat on Tuesday for the Sunday. And then Tuesday with SmackDown for Thursday. And mm-hmm. then if you had a pay-per-view, you know, you, you don't know which way is left. I remember if you had a pay-per-view week and then Sunday, by Tuesday at midnight, you're in Cleveland at an airport just like, oh, I can hardly speak. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> just drained of like what? And then so, you know, stuff was just at a breakneck pace and that's why it's interesting talking to you sometimes and people are like oh gosh i can't let me figure it out i don't remember <laughs> you know and, yeah yeah just it's been because it's it moves so fast well so two, fast. two things i wanted to ask coming out of that first did you see they did a follow-up a few years ago right before may passed where there was like an adult version of the hand yeah i saw a little bit of the on the internet yeah running around <laughs> uh that i thought was 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 a fun little throwback and the second is i was wondering like so <laughs> What what was the pace of writing the shows? You meet up with Vince during the week and write it out on a notepad because, like, I've seen scripts leak from like the last few years, and it seems like every promo, word for word, is written out. Every announcer, like segue, yeah. everything. He, how, how? Yeah, you know, when when we were there, we'd pretty much. It all depends who you're dealing with sometimes too, but you'd usually like peel off and have like a little speech if it's someone you, who you want to like memorize all or but generally it was kind of like bullet points mm-hmm. you know and so the scripts would come out with you know kind of a bullet point like you know show open go here backstage interview with the rock mention you know what happened at this upcoming this you know some bullet points that we've you know out to to lead this through and then you know someone like rock and austin you either like leave it up to them or you go works hey here's some suggestions hey and basically you're kind of guiding them to like well remember to mm-hmm. important shit to say is you know you're feeding the, the pay-per-view or here's what's to be kept alive other ones are more you know if someone hasn't spoken yet or or you know you give them uh more bullet points or 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 lines you know like i remember working a lot with kurt angle when he started and just kind of like Oh, he's going to be in Pittsburgh. He's going to have a thing, and he, that's his hometown. And oh, here's a good thing about how Mario Lemieux doesn't have enough courage to be your Pittsburgh hero because he couldn't <laughs> beat cancer. Oh, that's good. That's a good line. And now say it like this. So you're, you know, it kind of all depended on. It wasn't specifically like here's your lines, which mm-hmm. it's kind of become now, which I think is it's a, you know, and I feel that sometimes when I'm sour on it, I look and go like, oh, I feel like I'm watching actors and they're running their first scene study, because yeah. when a guy. You know, I, I always just tell the guys, if you look at someone, in, in my opinion, who was great on the mic, who wasn't a great talker, but he just seemed real, it was like someone like Bret Hart. And it's like, yeah, he had some lines and some catchphrases, but he just was like, you just felt like, oh, that's just like a f- athlete talking and getting pissed off. And I always remember, because I would show guys, like, when, one of the greatest matches was, you know, Bret Hart, uh, uh, Austin, when uh, it was the I Quit match. Yeah. Yeah, which was the to me the pinnacle of like, oh wow, because you always got like, how can you get two guys over that are big and one has to lose and it has to be definitive and they both are happy and that's the perfect one because Austin came out of that like he's so tough he bled from the head and he would never give up you'd have to kill him but Brett beat him so they just were both worked and they had these these lead ups where both of them are are like on a, a you know on a split screen oh yeah those promos were that was my yeah the writing during that era was just like the long-term well, planning and their promos yeah, and, and, and their awesome. true hatred yeah and the lack of writing in in the sense of these guys were working it out or it was set mm-hmm. up and if you looked at that it was, it was like a perfect example of like 
Steve Austin could out-talk Bret Hart, but it didn't matter because there was times where Bret Hart was just like kind of almost getting fumble mouth, but just sitting there steaming, pissed off, and Austin be like, "Go ahead, say so, say something else." What, what, you know? And it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is uncomfortable. But it was a lesson in like, fucking look at Bret Hart, how smart he is. He doesn't, need, he doesn't feel the need to like. Now I've got to come back with a, uh, you know, a, uh, an equal thing that I really can't, and I'll look dumb. He just like fumed like a guy in a bar, like, oh, one guy's, ooh, he's getting pissed. So it's like he didn't have to say anything. He he could mispronounce words or fumble, and it's, you just felt it because he was like steaming pissed. And sometimes that doesn't happen a lot now because everyone's like, you know, and I think guys make mistakes like, well, I've got to have, what's my catchphrase and what's my thing? And it's like, you know, just be just be real for lack of a, you know, a, yeah. a better word. And, and so – I kind of enjoyed that. And so the, the era I, I was at, you'd, you know, like you'd feed guys. So it was all like kind of case by case basis, but you still was up to them to be like, yeah, get this over. And I, I don't know. It seems like once it blew up and it's gotten so big, there's like so much control. And some guys are coming up just like, what's my lines? And you really feel like, oh, they're saying lines. And that's tough to do for even, even when you watch soap operas that are like every day, yeah. you see good actors are sometimes like, oop, go up on a line because it's like, yeah, you don't you can't rehearse it, and sometimes when it's live and like, oop, that seems, you know, they're they're oh, what are they searching for? Yeah, and, like for me as a fan, what takes me out of it is when they use certain like big words, like big corp oh. corporate words, and I'm like, what brawler would use yeah. this word? Like, I I can't think of a specific promo, but there well, are dude, some... I'll tell you this: it almost kills me when you got someone who's got like an accent or something, someone like you know, you know, and. Now there's all these like you can't say wrestler, you got to say super, all these rules, and then yeah. sometimes they say, oh, you can't say belt, you got to say. T-. There's so many syllables in WWE Universal Championship. It's like WWE unit. It's like of oh, 20 syllables, and sometimes you got like poor Rusev was like, and then when I fight you for WWE, it's like oh, poor fucking guy. You put a guy who's <laughs> English is his second language, and it's, he's got to say this thing all heated. Yeah, and he can't just say, you know, I'm going to kick your ass for the title. And when I, when we are on the road for WrestleMania for Double Double Universe, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, yeah, it, it really. I agree with you totally, and and even. Even them using the words the brands, that never sat with like brand that's like corporate battle yeah. of the brands. I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a it, it's weird how they get into their corporate lingo now and it's like nobody nobody outside of media even understands what this means, you know? Absolutely. And you know what? And and to uh, uh I always will be in deference to this holy shit. When I was there and they started smacking, I'm like, man, this is getting too big, it's oversaturated. How can it's a miracle they it's this huge they did it like it is right. now like part of they've woven it into the American culture even like it kind of wasn't when I was there I mean it's always been there as a subculture but now it's like boom it's a publicly traded company so they did that and hats off and 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 you know like the NFL you kind of like all the all the corny speak and you know it's it's there but you yeah. know yeah there is some of those wrinkles are kind of like like odd and, and and it's amazing that they've kept it up and it sure the, the the ratings are down from that you know time I was there but you know I think that that's a little uh, cyclical by nature sometimes and and also when once he bought WCW I think kind of like it was like a 
the competition like tension kind of left. Yeah, and, and I feel like obviously... there was a big dip in quality too, like right, almost immediately after. Like WrestleMania 17, best right. WrestleMania of all time, and then immediately after everything just went to shit, I feel like storyline-wise. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just became like, well, it's kind of like a uh, you know, uh, seeing soldiers all amped up and then like, oh, the, you know, the war's over. Ah, oh, you know, there's like a little, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. and there's not a spring in everyone's step as much. And then even when kind of I thought like they bought ECW, to me, I felt like, oh, you know, what's the difference now between ECW? I, was, I always said like, well, Raw and ECW are red and SmackDown is blue. That's, and that's the only difference, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it, it became like a homogenous product. And then, you know, and there, there's pros and cons. And, I, you know, I think, you know, I always want to say the organization they run now is so much better for the, the talent in a lot of ways as far as, like, you know, the, the, the Wild West. We're like, oh, you're hurt. Get out of here. I don't know who you are. You know, now there's, like, you know, as far as, like, training and contracts and, and not, not saying it's perfect, but it's a, it's a lot better for people. But at the same time, it, it doesn't have this, you know, crazy sort of uh, – competitiveness but we're seeing like you know a little bit of like new japan and kenny omega who didn't go over to the wwe and stayed there and you know you're seeing some stuff here and there Yeah, new japan i think is really kind of not kicking their ass but giving them that uh in a way kind of a, a competitor to kind of base their style off of and i feel it with new japan's rise it's kind of made the work rate in wwe significantly better because they see that fans actually want Wrestling, well, I, think I, you're, I think you're right. And then also just Shinsuke Nakamura coming over. and Right, right. Yeah, the talent and, pool that they have now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's my favorite product right now. And obviously it has, you know, uh, uh, as far as like the in-ring stuff, I, I mean, it's it's superior, you know. Uh, and, and I really enjoy watching the, the you know, uh, JR, Josh Barnett, even though it's after the fact, the, mm-hmm. the um, commentary. And uh, yeah, for, for me, it's 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 way superior. So you're yeah. still I, I'm, I'm impressed. Like, I feel like a lot of people when they go to work for WWE, they need to like step away from it or whatever. But you're you're still a, you would still consider yourself a wrestling fan and you still follow it. Yeah. And in fact, I, I bec- one thing that the appreciation I got from working there is more like the in ring stuff. Like, wow, I really gained a bigger appreciation for that because, I you know, I always liked that. But I was more of like just the spectacle and the the odd Americana bizarre subculture and then that really what what helped me as far as even the stuff i produced or you know what i what i you know what i went for i was always looking for a weird wrinkle like the my favorite things i came up with was the crash holly 24 7 hardcore title and uh, what a what a great angle people still talk about it yeah how fun so i was always looking for those kind of wrinkles because it's like you know i'm i don't they don't need another guy you know you know agents take care of finishes and you know and all that so right you know my philosophy i think i what i i think i got in good with vince where i said like you know wrestlers understand there's a psychology to every match but even wrestlers are their own worst enemies they don't understand there's a psychology to every card they still have this mentality like i want to be a main eventer not a preliminary but once this thing's on tv in this big spectacle form, it's all main event. And, you know, and whether you're beginning, middle, and end, and, and there's a psychology to a card because sometimes you make mistakes like, well, you can't put two burner matches in a row. It's like a meal. Oh, you need to put, like, uh, the burner match, and then you have to have some gaga, then put this here, and then build, you know. Well, well, now, just to understand, like, a burner match, is that like a high spot match? Or Yeah, like two, like, you know, like at the – 
one of the, like you know Benoit versus Angle. Holy shit! You know, I then see, you like a word another break. like yeah, you know, two competitive guys after that aren't at that level. Like oh, yeah. then oh, you'll oh. have like an L Snow versus Steve Blackman comedy Gaga match kind of to yeah, yeah. soften it. Boy, uh, the, I, I'm 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 just envisioning Steve Blackman staring at you right now though. <laughs> I didn't mean to any disrespect, Mr. Blackman. <laughs> he's the best. He's he's the most underrated guy. Uh, one of the you know that's why I always talk about the era. It's like holy shit, you got Steve Blackman walking around. What are we gonna do with him? Like Jesus Christ, that that guy's like he's 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 unbelievable. He's a legit bounty hunter. That's what he does now. Oh, he's yeah, he's uh he's legit. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about, like, I was going through 99 through 2000, 2001, and there were some huge storylines. And the one that stuck out the most was the Triple H and Stephanie, like the McMahon-Helmsley era. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm guessing you, you had a part in that. And, and were, were you involved with the matrimony where he took her to Vegas and and yeah, essentially well, gave her a date rape truck? Like, if you yeah. think, like, that story could never happen today. Here's the thing. Yeah, that's all fascinating. It's still fascinating to me. And even from being there, this is what I love about like so many smart marks now. Well, I think I heard this or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you could be right there and you not know exactly how things come about quite often, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I remember when when I went in, my, my whole thing to him was always like, hey, I think the more the McMahon family's involved, the better, uh, all that stuff. It's It's so intriguing and you know, I remember writing things for him saying, like, you know, when you hear of the that East Coast Irish American family that's the clo- uh, closest thing to American royalty, most people think of the Kennedys. I think of the McMahons, you know. And so I was always like, yeah, that do more of that whenever. And it was my opinion. And he, he liked that. And, and then he had this wonderful, like, old school uh, uh, decree that was like, well, we have, every once in a while we got to have a wedding. Whatever reason, people love weddings. They're always ratings giants. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's right. He had Macho Man and Uncle Elmer. Just like, it was just in <laughs> soap operas. Like, yeah, there's all, yeah, have a wedding. Wedding is just an occasion. And I'm like, all right. So his daughter and Tess, and that was going along. And I remember doing bits with them shopping for fucking tuxedos and all kinds of shit. And then I'll tell you what, man, I, I don't know. I don't know to this day. It just can't, you know, because sometimes it's like that. You're, you're okay, you know, because you kind of you meet, you're, you're, you're with them all the time. You're having breakfast, like you know, the venues, and you know, you see them like eight times a week. And okay, what about here's some more stuff and come up with stuff, come up with stuff, and then suddenly like, well, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, Triple H is gonna. I was like, oh, oh, he is okay. So that was uh, however that came. Uh, uh, an end around behind the scenes and, and not like I was, uh, you know, have to be privy to any, everything mm-hmm. in, in any way, shape or form. But that was just like a decree that was dropped on us in like a little bit of left field, you know, before it happened, like, Oh, okay. So I think that was a case of like him pitching it to him and them laying something out that, you know, which I was actually appreciated. Cause like, Oh, there's some solid direction. You got it, boss. You know, there was so never... do you think Triple H pitched that to Vince, and then Vince pitched I, I it to you? Guys? So I think yeah. that's a good uh, assumption. I see. And, and um, 
you know, but like I said, you you never felt like, what the hell? <laughs> it was so much shit that it was so busy. You're just like. Right. Oh, less work for me. Great. This has been figured yeah, out. I don't a, have a to direction. Be. Not necessarily less work, but like. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Less, less, less confusion for me. <laughs> right, 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 right. And then yeah. a, a big part of that story I felt was I believe the pay-per-view was Armageddon. It was like the last pay-per-view of the year. And it was yeah. Triple H where it's Vince McMahon. And first of all, I believe a week or two before this, Vince McMahon won the world title on SmackDown, which got a lot of heat from like people like, oh, it's the Booker, you know, giving yeah. himself the belt. Vince McMahon is yeah. a wrestler. But for me, exclusively as a viewer, and the way you wrote, it's not like Vince McMahon like did a, a super combo finisher on Triple H. Like he won, I believe there was like some interference or something. Like he won by mischievous ways. Of course. Yeah. And just seeing that was malfeasance. Yes. <laughs> and it was like, it was such a hype way to get the title on Vince, who clearly had no business being the champion. And right. then having that Stephanie turn at the pay-per-view was just, you know, just a plus wrestling swerves. Yeah. Cause you know, and, and it's exactly right. The, the difference is like, Oh, the fans are they're You know, they're infuriated. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> are they like, Oh, you know, no, they're infuriated. <laughs> Great. You know, then that means like, well, that means like, well, he's got to get his ass kicked. You know, he's got to right, get his right. comeuppance, you know. So uh, tweaking the fans are, you know, like, you know, it's fine. And also really, you know, the purity of the, the belts and the championships, like staining stuff is like, yep, that like happens in all sports, you know, let alone wrestling for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, you know, none of that. You know, it wasn't, I think. You could look at like uh, Jay Leno or, or, you know, or David Arquette. That got poo-pooed in a bad way because those are guys that like, oh, they showed up and through their celebrity prowess, they gave them something to kind of ca try to capitalize on something. And I think a lot right. of fans farted at that. Like, well, what the fuck is that? You know, where Vince is like, no, he's in there for the long haul and he's, you know, there's, there's a big difference. So, yeah, I think that worked tremendously well and just to say uh more uh triple h props that armageddon mm -hmm. that was the one in, in i'm sure with there was a lot of like uh, military tanks and stuff out on the uh on the stage there oh yeah i think like it was like the end is near was the song yeah and they were remember they were they were going over something and climbing up the the some kind of netting or something and there because there was some kind of like spot where it fell through something and Vince fell poorly onto Triple H's knee and totally hyperextended it so I remember that oh like before and he had to like he was you could just see he was beat red and like you know fucked up and that whole day before it's like he just like went and you know I think he got a shot up in the knee and you know wrapped it up and just hung out in the locker room just like laying there on the couch before the match and then went out and, and delivered and then worked through that injury so that was wow. like that was like sometimes you don't see like oh that guy you know he worked through because i remember it happening out there like oh it's like and it was a moment like oh is he fucked up is that it did he just blow his knee out and and uh and he worked it, and then, you know, and also I said, like, oh, Vince works stiff, you know. <laughs> and, and not, you know, not saying he doesn't have the ability, but, like, you know, throwing those, uh, uh, you know, punches, and and uh, when you're not, like, doing it day after day, 
there's a little, there's a little margin for error. So like, oh, you're, you know, you're walking back to like, oh, I got about six knots on my head from, you know, stiff punches that weren't, you know, thrown <laughs> right or whatever. And it's like, you know, sometimes that, you know, you might not look at that. Oh, the Vince Triple H hardcore mat- match from uh, Armageddon. Yeah, it was fine. But that was one where you're like, oh. That guy went through that. That was one of his toughest nights. You know, you wouldn't know it, but it was. Uh, one of the most controversial stories of the time was the death of the Big Show's father. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I yeah. still have that image of Big Show riding the casket as Big Boss yeah. Man drives off. And I that, remember that one was the, and that was one of my proud ones too. And that was another one of those moments where I said like, "Hey, let's do this." And he, how about he goes his he busts in on his dad's funeral, like drags the casket away, and Vince took off his glasses again and said, "That's got to be done." That's what he said. <laughs> we have yeah. to do this. And then, but then I remember that was like right before Survivor Series, and then Big Show just wins the world title out of nowhere. Was that always the plan for Big Show? Or was there like an injury? I think Austin got injured or something. Um, Do you remember how that came about? Well, I've, uh, not specifically. Okay. Sometimes there's, there just gets to be a little vacuum and something's happened. Like, well, let's put it on show. And, you know, a little, uh, you know, kind of he's earned it. And <laughs> we made him, we made him ride a casket. Let's give him the title. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I do remember, and I can't remember this. But the the Austin did have like some kind of neck issue that took him out of the pay per view that was in Detroit, and I remember where where he got hit by the car if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was really interesting. This is a good this is a good story of how wrestling works sometimes. That what that pay per view is all set right, mm-hmm. and Detroit's my hometown. I remember that one more specifically. So uh, get a call from. Which is funny. Like, I remember first getting a call from Vince when I worked at Conan. Like, holy shit, that voice on the phone. Hey, man, hey, how you doing? Uh, like, it's Vince McMahon. I'm like, holy fuck. And so I'm like, it's Vince McMahon's on the phone. Then, you know, months later, I get a 3 o'clock in the morning. Hello. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's <a totally laughs> feeling. Uh, oh, God, but, it's Vince McMahon on the phone. <laughs> he's like, uh, Austin's got hurt his neck. Got you know, to, you know, got to think about redoing the pay-per-view. And that was, I think, that was Saturday night. And they were flying to, you know, like a 6 a.m. flight to Detroit Sunday from New York is a, like an hour and a half, two-hour flight, you know, meeting in Detroit. It's, you know, so all hands on deck. So, like, holy shit, you know, the whole got to rework the pay-per-view. And that's what's great about those, you know, everyone there just like, do you know, you just work through it, switch it up. So it was kind of – and that's one of these things like I don't even know whose idea it was for Austin to get hit by the car. It may have been mine. It may have been someone else. But it was not important because it's almost like, okay, what do we do? Austin's – he can't, you know, like how do we keep live? Oh, this, he gets attacked. I don't know how much he – he gets hit by a car. Okay, he gets hit by a car. You know, you're off and running. Mm-hmm. So it's like – I don't know. Someone said it. And so then like uh, – and sometimes the wheels are in motion and it's such a machine. You're like, I don't know who called who to get some kind of stuntman. Some stuntman's coming in, and he's not. He can't get a local. It's all like you know, breakneck speed or get get someone from somewhere else. So this guy's coming in, and I'm, and I used to work at at arena like selling like popcorn and ice cream in high school, and like a, a concessions runner, and it was uh, at the Joe Louis Arena, and I'm like, oh, I you know, here's a good 
we where the car's coming back by the river. It's a good spot. So we, we ran down there and like, okay, we're and we're under a little construction. Like, oh, good, there's a chain link fence. It was all like, okay, do it there. A limo will come and you know, it's fucking wrestling flying by the seat of your pants. And uh, you know, like it's funny. Move to Hollywood after. Like, do you have a permit? Get get out of here. What do you mean? We're pulling <laughs> up an ambulance. Um, but uh, so kind of like setting it up. Like, okay, and you're gonna do do it before. And then, uh, or had to wait right till like think like it's all so tense. Like the sun went down, so it still looked like it was dark. But we're gonna like pre-tape it, then take it to the truck and roll it in in a later segment, but not too much later, you know, because there's a lot of like you know. And then had to re readjust, you know, on the fly with the broadcasters. Okay, this is still Austin's night. Austin is gonna come in and blah blah blah, and then that'll be a big deal hit by the car. And then like the broadcasters all the way through it can be like, oh, what's going on? And all the interviews can just kind of like. What happened with all? What happens now? And uh, who, you know, what's going on? So becomes you know the the focus of the night. So you're doing all that, and and it's kind of great because people are like, you know, I think Jr. Whoever like, all right, yeah, I got it. You know, we'll just switch it up. And this guy was like, getting a uh, goatee put on and shaving his head, and he's kind of like, oh, can you be like, wear like a okay, the the shot's gonna be so far away. Kind of like get a few cameras out there, get some out of focus. He'll be coming in with his luggage and and uh, okay, he'll look like awesome. Get the jeans and like a flannel shirt. And this guy was like, "Oh, we're, we're doing it now!" Like he he kind of like hem and hawed a little. This stomach and I'm like, <laughs> and I said like, "Dude, if you don't do it, they're gonna I'm gonna fucking put padding in a shirt and I'll shave my head and they'll just do, <laughs> I'll set the camera up farther away and I'll do it." <laughs> And Vince was like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. They fucking would run me over. <laughs> and so – and you're so like, oh, God, I hope this fucking looks right. And and then they did it far enough. And I can't, I just remember being out there and then like, boom, did it. And they're like, okay, that, that looks good enough. And you could kind of cover it like, holy smokes, Austin got – who's in that car? And the great thing about that was – so that became that night and like, whoo, pulled that off. Then Then it really – it had its own life, which was the it's the funnest, craziest thing about working at wrestling at that time. Was like then every all these fucking wrestlers are pitching like, "Hey, I should be the one to hit Austin's car." Then there was a storyline like, "Who hit Austin?" And then everyone was, uh, you know, you had suddenly you had this huge overarching angle that just worked into everything. Like no one trusts anyone, so you're just like, "Oh, well, you got this whole direction to go that." You, you, I don't think you could have pitched it like Vince. I want to pitch this, and you know, and right. so wait, Austin gets hit, and uh, yeah, well, you know, it would never have worked. But once you know the reality of a situation dictated it, then that next week it became. Then everyone's vying, and I, uh, Rikishi was ultimately the guy. He had. Uh, he I, did I, it for he, the Rock. He did it for yeah. the people. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, right. <laughs> so, all this, you know, and for, for every one of those, there was like a. Oh, it's Taz because he's a. Th- oh, it's, you believe me, there's. Like, so you guys were going through the roster of like who it could be because, like, of course, like you said, that who done it is the best Dude, type of wrestling. Phone calls history. and everyone's, you know, because everyone wanted that rub. Right. You know? So everyone's pitching you that they're the ones who did it and they have their oh, own backstory who would on want why. To be the one, yeah. You're were there? In- <laughs> were there any other serious considerations before Rikishi, or it's just like you kind of got to a point where you're like, all right, we need to reveal who this. Who the, well, like, we need to end this. How did that's it... odd. Serious considerations that would be up to Vince. Mm. At the time. Certainly, you know, in my work ethic or whatever, it is is kind of like, well, here's why this guy would work. Here's why this, you know, mm. it wasn't a lot of like Mark sometimes think like, mm, so were you really like, mm. 
I didn't want I, Vince's opinion is the one that counted, and then other people that he listened to or whatever. And you'd say like, oh, I, I like this or I like this. There was no sort of like, I'm you know, I just try, here I tried to make everyone work. That was I think. I just tried to get everyone over as best I could, and, and if it's like you know, it Crash Holly was okay. Here's the, here's why. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I want it to be Lita. Okay, you got it. It's Lita, and here's why. And you know, so uh, essentially, you're, you're it, writing for an the, audience it, of one, right? You're you're writing for Vince. Vince has to like it. Yeah, you know, and but but he's savvy enough to see. You know, that's the thing. Sometimes he gets, you know, a, a bad rap. Sometimes you know, I'm sure it's it's true he's too much of a control freak and things but you know i I hear so many marks go like you know vince hates cm punk and you know and like it's like yeah it's probably true he's not that kind of vision for vince cm punk but you know hey he was a champion for over a year you know yeah yeah he's like cm punk at some point (laughs) you know you have to in some way appreciate him yeah into that pop he gave him the, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even like pipe bomb, you know, promo, like, oh yeah, believe me, Vince, go out there and you know, speak your mind. You know, it's all, you know, whether there's bad blood and not bad blood later, it's all, you know, it all works. And 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 guys that were not Vince's archetype of a champion, uh, such as Daniel Bryan and and CM Punk, had their moments by. By getting over themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and they're getting over themselves, and uh, so he he's he certainly listens, and you know, and what have you, and I guess now in ways it's such a massive machine, and he's you know, and he's in his seventies, it certainly isn't, you know, can't have your thumb on it as much as you used to, or you know, I guess it happened with the Raiders and Al Davis too, so there you go. See what do you have happened. a favorite? Do you have a favorite Vince story? That you like to tell, like that, like really shows you the Vince McMahon. Absolutely, the person. This is, a, this is a great Vince story that shows you, just from a management technique or whatever. I'll just lay it out. Uh, okay, we're somewhere like when you're doing something backstage that's physical, and like I said, the show's live, but sometimes you'll pre-tape something at a certain point, take it to the truck, and then it'll, and then they'll kind of like roll it in. And then, you know, manipulate it so it seems like it's a, it feeds into something that's happening live. So, in other words, like, okay, Raw, we're going to do the first segment. In between these segments, we're going to have – we had, like, a big show cane thing backstage with some chairs. And then you know, we'll pre-tape that there. And then this, that. And then in segment five, we'll roll that pre-tape and go to here. And <clears throat> so, you know, you don't do everything live, live in that sense. So <laughs> and the tricky part sometimes is <clears throat> you got to have a floor manager or whatever there on the mic. Because if you're doing something backstage, in between a certain time, like a commercial or something, you got to watch out that the live show's entrance music of of a guy coming out is going to ruin the pre-tape you're doing. So sometimes you'll be like, okay, we're ready to do this here. Shit, we're not getting going. And hold hold on. Don't do it. Wait till so-and-so's fucking music is because there's pyro or something that's really loud and you're backstage. And, okay, once that passes, then we can, you know, do the segment during the match or whatever, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, you just so, don't want the music to tip off yeah, the reader of what time. Like, oh, this is happening now. Like, wait a minute, that's the Undertaker theme, and he came out in the second segment. What? You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, 
and when you're doing anything physical with chairs, you don't, you know, it's like one time shot. They're going to do something that hurts and, you know, what have you. So there was this guy. I don't remember his name. Well, let's say he's Joe. Fuck. Uh, he had his headset on and it's kind of like, okay, and Vince, are you ready? All right, we're going to do the thing. And it was, I think it was Big Show came to the most intimidating guys, ran chair shot or something. And then, like, the guy was kind of like, he fucked up. He didn't say, hey, wait, we should wait until the music comes through. And then during their argument, pyro and someone's shit goes off and they just like stop and go like oh because they just like took a chair shot and we're like and i saw this guy young guy just go like ash and white like oh i fucked up bad and not only did i fuck up i got like the big show and kane like what the fuck i gotta fucking do it again god damn it and vince grabs the uh, headset off the guy like god damn it and it was like oh boy that guy's just like he just wants (laughs) to walk away and go to the airport and so they do it again and vince all right he controls it and works fine so it's at the end of the show post-mortem meeting in vince's office vince goes like who's who's that guy uh you know that that you know fuck that up joe or whatever and like yeah go get him and I'm like, okay hey vince wants to see in this guy's oh fuck you know and vince is very good about knowing all the crew but you know not everyone you know, interacts with them that much mm-hmm. and he goes like hey bring him in the office and like i know it's scary and everyone's blustery and you know and yelling but when you got that headset on you got to realize you're god and what you says say goes and you gotta be you know you gotta be up for the moment and you gotta tell them to stop and you know that's that and if you yell it's fine all right and the guy's like yeah so then then the next production meeting in the next city he's like we're gonna do a little backstage thing if if joe has his shit together right so (laughs) the point of the story is like vince didn't fucking be didn't fire the guy he like you know he built the guy up he rec- you know what i mean it was like kind of like oh that's like a fucking leader you know that's you, you work in so many shitty things in hollywood we're just like hey, get rid of him get rid you know or just it's like a bad thing happened and vince is like oh you know not a bad guy then so that guy had like a badge of honor now he's like oh i got yelled at by vince and this happened and now i'm he he became a better employee. He became happier. You know what you know what I'm saying? It was like right. Vince like is in of, this evil overlord that he gets this image course, put upon him. Of course not. And you know, I mean, my God, he's modern era wrestling promoter. He's going to have you know so many naysayers and enemies, but he's going to have much more that that like you know myself included. Like I oh, treated me like a prince. If, you know. Uh, uh, I don't have bad things to say about him whatsoever. Two guys that have a lot of good things to say about you are Edge and Christian. They just had Brian Gewertz on their podcast, and they were gushing about how the three of them and you would just hide away in a locker, in a locker room, and just make jokes and <laughs> come up with the silliest storylines and like goof off to the point that they started getting heat from yeah. other wrestlers because they thought that they were trying. Uh, the other wrestlers thought they were trying to bribe the writers or something like that well yeah it was just we're just fucking goofy canadians and i fucking liked and just being fucking goofballs you know and it just was like yeah how come i can't be a goofball too <laughs> <laughs> no and it, it, uh yeah you just uh and, and you guys like with them you like their career was made i feel during your era with the the tlc matches their series with the hardys and the dudleys and and just their promo work, I feel like they're... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they would be nothing without me. That I'll take credit for You'll take every, all the credit. I'm sure they'll give you all the credit. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll everything good. 
and then everything bad was their idea. That they yeah, just... yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it was a no, collaborative. Was, you know what was what was great was that that was really interesting because it was like <clears throat> it was the Hardy Boys and them, and the Hardy Boys had this like they're just like underdogs, right? And they just had that like at the time this amazing sort of like. I don't want to use jobbers like a bad word, you know, forever. They they came up through like, oh, those two brothers, they're, you know, talent enhancement. And then they were there so long that it became like the Rudy story. Like, oh, my God. And then, you know, they just established themselves. So and, and Edge and Christian was like, oh, they're kind of like squeaky, clean, good looking, you know, babies. But is there is there baby faces? Is there room for that, too? And so they were interesting because you're always like you're kind of like looking for what isn't there as far as like, Oh, how, cause it's, it's kind of amazing. You got two, like I said, that roster's fucking just stacked. And and those guys really responded because they're two guys that weren't like, you know, uh, on Vince's radars being huge physical specimens or all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, what can we do? And I just remember like, wow, like, yeah, just make them these, you know, it was good because, like, how can you be, like, goofy and entertaining but then heels? And I remember having, a, like, an early thing, like, we're kind of like, oh, we need – it was really like, we need heels. Like, yeah, these guys can be heels. And, and often I still feel like it's so hard for people to just come out as baby faces if they don't – even, like, The Rock or anyone. It's like you got to have, like, a heel turn. Everyone did. Hulk Hogan did early in his career and and, and Dusty Rhodes just to, just to learn how to have some personality. It's so difficult to just have a – you know, hardly anyone could be like Ricky Steamboat, like just babyface day one over huge. That's right. pretty because it comes off as cheesy and inauthentic, right? Like it's yeah, like, and it's just difficult to be. Yeah, it's just difficult. You, you can't know? be believable in that sort of like yeah. happy-go-lucky kind of way. Yeah. So you know, once they were like, you know, started like I remember this early thing. We're like, oh, let's get some heat on them and the the Hardys, just like as you know, they're kind of like similar, like. So we built a little thing. It was good. Like, oh, they're all pals and they're all friends. Isn't this great? It's just competition. And then like, yeah, you know what? Like, man, fuck those guys. And, and we had <laughs> back then where they, 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 they could swear and stuff. And it was just something about like, oh, that was good. They really hit like a searched around and kind of found like, oh, you can like swear and be assholes, but be kind of like smug, smug, shitty, you know, and that way you're still like humorous and, you know, they just like, they, like a fish to water they just took to it and it's just like i was like so happy that like oh it works you know those you know those guys like uh they were they were kind of like those ladder matches made them like you know they had like respect physically and they were like sneaky but also they were like the you know kind of remember them like oh they're like the eddie if this old old reference like the eddie haskell kids like you know the like the shitty neighborhood kids. yeah absolutely yeah i don't trust them but they're you know there's just all those kind of elements and and that really they they just fit them well and it was it just was great to see it like just grow and grow with them we're like oh yeah you're just like you know smug show offy like you know assholes <laughs> and uh, i i read in a uh, there was a book that I, I remember reading a quote from you that you were like it was the best job i ever had and i never want to go back <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of uh it's kind of true it's like well you know it's it's like wow you make this your life or don't really 
So I don't want to put a lot of negativity on it because I think uh, just it's one of those like marry that girl or, you know, you got to leave town. Right. Is this how I want to spend the rest of my life? Like you hit that point, you hit that wall because it is a rough schedule. You're traveling at least three days a week. Right. And then you're working out of the office. Yeah. You're on call all the time, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, And that's not even so so bad that 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 kind of grind. You know what it is? It just. And again, I don't want to be negative. I really felt like, oh, that was a that was a great time. And now there's like bigger writing staffs and it it just seems to be there's less of a, you know, I I, I tried to start a mixed martial arts promotion with someone and it went kablooey. And it was kind of like going to be, a, a you know, a hope some humorous stuff with it. And, and but uh you know, you'd, you'd have a lot more satisfaction in a smaller promotion, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I can understand why guys would want like, ah, would go work at NXT and have like that more direct. Because even when I, even though it was so massive when I was there, there was still that kind of vibe. And I think once it became you just saw like, oh, it's really becoming a big machine now. And again, that's not to say that's just that's just the way it is, you know, that, you know. It's man. Well, you're not saying it's good or bad. It's just that's where the company was going. Like, like you said, when you got there, there was no structure to the writing team. And I'm sure while you were there, that's when like Stephanie was promoted to like the head of the create. I don't know if you were still there for that, but and then well, even, trying to build the team, right? Even that was like there was a team and there was structure because it just happened. There was just stuff to do and you did it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it all and it all there was structure from decades of the WWF being on the road. And in different, oh, we're here, we're in this arena. We, you know, so there was incredible structure. And it just, uh, so that there wasn't titles or there wasn't this kind of like, you know, it's a little bit, I guess, the phrase I've, I sense that it became a little bit, uh, if you hear the phrase, the tail wagging the dog mm-hmm. in some respect. When I was there, Everything emanated from the road. It's, it's, it's so brilliant because the the, the the TV shows are from live venues and there's no you know overhead and everything else, whatever happened live, that was king. And then what started, you know, then, oh, T-shirt sales and merchandising. And, you know, when I heard things like, oh, Daniel Bryan's going to be in the Wyatt family. Oh, no, he can't because this, we got this many T-shirts and like, oh, better could a kibosh on that. You know, once a lot of. That may be an accurate example or not, but things like that. I get what you're saying, like where the the corporate business side prevents the creative from working to its fullest. Yeah, and and often like I can just imagine, like I see a lot of things like, oh, there's a lot of shows on the network, and oh boy, I bet you know they're really those shows have zero budgets, and it it can be a real thankless job. I bet a lot of like there's been a revolving door of writers, and I've known quite a few here and there, but it's a lot of like, yeah, it's not too satisfying. It can be not satisfying for a lot of people because you're like, oh, I'm spewing out this stuff and oh, oh, some guys got fired. I think the wrong guys got fired. And I don't you know, it's just it's such a ma- it's such a massive bureaucracy now because there's like, you know, two writing teams and, you know, and I think it's always fun for the agents. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but it's kind of like, oh, they've got oh, here's a five minute match. Do this or whatever. But. You know, my time there was so like wonderfully satisfying. Like, holy shit, run with this, go do that. You know, and sometimes you're doing shit like, uh, fuck, we got to go do this interview, and you know, like, ooh, Vince hated it. Uh oh, oh, but the guys in the truck liked it. Oh, doesn't matter. Moving on. You know, you can say. And I mean, I've had moments with like, god damn it, what was that? And 
well, I thought it was the right thing to do, so I did it. Well, all right. You know, you can have those exchanges with Vince and people are like, you know, what? Like, yeah, you're just like, there's just so much to do. And it was such a. So you you've know, yelled back at Vince. This seems like something most people would be afraid to do. <laughs> well, in the sense of like, you know, just like I said, not yeah, really. Yeah. I don't want to put But it just out. when don't, you when you believed in in something that you did or yeah, you were just like, I don't have be to be that this. shitty journalist and take that. Right. <laughs> but no. Well, that's going to be the headline. No. <laughs> no, it was more like I said, like, you stand up for your sh- shit and take right, heat. Right. He doesn't mind. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think. Uh... Do you remember what your last gig, like your last show was? Like where, where you parted well, with? You know what? It kind of like um, leaked because I went to to England a couple times and did those pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. I think one of the England ones was because that actually, even though I wasn't, do, I was like off and moved to California. I think I did a couple of those because sometimes no one wanted to do them. <laughs> and actually, at the time, they were great because it wasn't like there wasn't the network or whatever. They were kind of, um, and they it wasn't a paper. A lot, a couple of those were just pay per views for England. Right. So it was a little out of canon in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And. So it was a little more loosey goosey, and I remember doing some fun stuff with Edge and Christian out, just making. I like, oh, let's just go out front and make fun of people's bad teeth and big ears, and you know, and, <laughs> and, and you know, and taking pictures of the fans and just like picking them out, like just just being rude, and you know, and just and uh, there was like no, yeah, there was no pressure and no stakes to just like ah, do what you want, and, and the matches were, you know, so it, it became like a, a fun thing, even though. The schedule is so tough. We're like, oh shit, got to fly to, you know, that always put like a travel wrinkle into it. But the, you know, the they they were pretty fun. So that, I think that was the last one. I can't even I can't remember the probably like rebellion or something like that. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to talk about like. I'm sorry. You should look on Wikipedia like the whole. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, because you've been very generous here with your time, I did want to talk about Death Clock just really quickly because when I first started watching it, yeah. uh, I didn't realize uh, your connection with WWE at the time, but it very much felt written kind of like a wrestling show in the sense that there was like this evil faction trying to stop right. Death Clock and Death Clock were like these anti-hero kind of like Steve Austin type <laughs> uh, right. and they were the best metal band and it was so brutal and it it were you kind of bringing sort of like your wrestling storytelling into this, well, this cartoon I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way you kind of look for a common denominator and what I, I don't think you I phrase it like that like it's mm-hmm. wrestling what I learned at wrestling was like oh this is this is not reinventing the wheel. And even when I look at like acting and even like movie acting and whatever, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, and, and it's the same shit in wrestling applies, even though it's different lingo. Like, oh, you get your facial and you get your point over and we got to get heat on a heel. And you're like, oh, and you're writing a script or you're making a movie or whatever. Like, oh, who's a heel? Well, what, you know, you got to get heat on this person. And here's, you know, the, you know, it's all the same mechanisms, you know? So that's kind of like you cut through that. It's, it's just or, storytelling. Yeah, ultimately it's storytelling there's... and it's character building is really the, you know, which, which is the thing you learned at wrestling. Like, oh, yeah, build it. You know, it's like, oh, you can't introduce a, someone as evil. They got to have some something to build. You know, I use, Show use those wrestling. Evil. You got to yeah. get heat on that guy. You can't just go out there and expect him to be booed. <laughs> got to do something, you know? Yeah. 
so the, the so really those same things apply and and certainly you know the uh being in a band and and uh the violence and but uh you know being in a wrestling when i was there is kind of like uh, it's like a managing a sports team, writing for a soap opera, and being on road with a rock band too. Just in terms of the uh, you know right. the road life and the spectacle. So I guess you know a lot of those things might leak through, and uh, you know, but uh, and family stuff too is always like that was one of our phrases. Like being in a band's like being in a family with no love, and musicians tend to like that. So, but there's, there's certainly like similarities between musicians and wrestlers in, in that, that road life and, and, and performance and a lot of that stuff. So I, I imagine some of that leaked through and then you just filled in the rest. Would you ever see yourself, uh, doing wrestling again? Like if Ring of Honor was like, Hey, do you want to come book our small little show? <laughs> would you, yeah, would you, you know be? What? Sure. I, 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 you know, if I ever made tons of money you know i'd like to uh have a small promotion for fun i don't know you want to be the money mark <laughs> that, yeah, that brings... you the, yeah you know it's uh uh maybe a, it's yeah there's things I've, I've actually had development deals for fictionalized wrestling shows that you know haven't gone over i did a wrestling cartoon that that on uh adult swim called mongo wrestling alliance it was Pretty fun, a little ill-fated. I was a little disappointed with some stuff, but uh, you know, obviously that it didn't go. But there's some some good things there, so it's always in there in in some some respects. So yeah, yeah. I never say never. Um, and you still follow it. You still watch. <laughs> it sounds like you keep up with it pretty hardcore. It was, you dropped on the New Japan references. Have you ever gone to a PJ, PWG show? Yeah, out here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know a few guys st still, you know, here and there. I like. Uh, yeah, I didn't go to Long Beach for the New Japan, but I'm going to go, you know, I think uh, hopefully the next one. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of um, I drift in and out of the big WWE mm -hmm. product. I'll check in every once in a while with NXT, like this guy, like, you know, that guy. And and uh, I did actually uh, see uh, um, uh, last night's pay-per-view, uh, and I like... Uh, Asuka, she was uh, great. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, she's she's like my favorite. She's like, a, you know, I love when someone like that, it's like, you know, I don't want to be disparaging, but like, ah, oh, the woman's thing, it seems like, ah, oh, they're all this ilk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're like, a, oh, we want them to be like a wholesome stripper. You know? <laughs> Lots of makeup and athletic, but like, you know, they're just, you know, like, so, but then someone like Asuka is like, oh, she's just like a little short and... And, and, and pudgy and and weird and she can fucking wrestle you know what i mean it's, it's yeah. really good to see something like why is she out there oh because she can work and she came up through some fucking dojos in japan or whatever and she's like oh she you know and it's like oh she's great that's why she's there you know she doesn't fit the mold in, in that sense and i love when someone's like yeah put it on her she's she's a know. true badass yeah, yeah she can beat up know? most of the guys <laughs> What's that? She could beat up most of the guys, I feel. She could probably outwork you, them. Yeah. You know, if you, you had that list, but, you know, the Elimination Chamber is, is not one of my favorites. It's so, uh, I, and I think of the poor writers, like when, did you watch it at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, I watched the whole thing. I was going to ask you what you thought of how they wrote the main event where they made Braun look super strong only to lose 
to Roman. And like, it just seemed to me like, how are you going to get Roman over when you're getting Braun over so strong and then make people want Braun to win and then take it away from them, kind of, you know? Well, yeah, you know, it's one of those things I think, in my opinion, it's kind of overthinking and it's all like trying to make guys on paper, if that makes sense. I didn't really like it. I think, yeah, Braun's like, you look at him like, oh, fuck, that's a 400-pound guy. Looks, you know, he's got some some stuff. He's great. But they're, they're, they're doing like Andre the Giant spots. And I thought it got a little silly with that, like, ultimate beatdown, and he springs them all off. Like, you know, really? See yeah, yeah. all those guys? And then, he, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think they should make him work more like a, you know, just work him different. I, I don't – because we've seen bigger guys, even though he's huge, and it's just like, oh, they're it's that lumbering – you know, what, those Andre the Giant spots don't work a lot for people that aren't Andre. When when you'd see, you know, Andre, who's like even later, I, I've seen him live a few times, like, you know, even when he's lumbering. But when you're there and you're you can be in the cheap seats and you're like, holy fuck, you know, yeah. the spectacle of Andre, even though some of those spots are like, oh, he threw five, you know, they're not like, you know, your big high spot that makes you go, why? It's it's because he's a giant and see Braun to him it's kind of like oh yeah you're yeah it's it's an Andre the Giant spot but I, I don't think it does him you know a lot of good and uh I don't know I, I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of it and for me you know and and I know and this is another thing where like I, and Roman Reigns I I feel bad for the guy it's agreed it's a, it's amazing that someone gets booed so much and like I just like why don't they turn him heel? When is the point where he's going to be like, "You you don't like me? I don't like you either. Fuck you." And I think that you know, the turn him baby again later. That's yeah. Just, you know, if they turned him heel a year ago, he would be the biggest baby face in the company right now. Like they could have worked it back to where he's a face now, but they just didn't <laughs> want to do it. I guess again, like you were saying for the corporate reasons, which is I'm sure he pushes a lot of merch to kids and and if he's a heel kids aren't going to buy his stuff i guess that's it and if it's not it's just you know they, they need a guy they need a face because i don't know how much you know merch is and also an argument for a thing but you know I, for whatever reason they think like well we need we need the face and if you know if it's not cena it's him but like that's what you know disappoints me because sometimes, like I said, you know Vince at his best is like I'm going counterintuitive. I don't, I don't think you know Sam Punk doesn't have the look that I think a champion should have. But oh, listen to that pop! He's a long reigning champion because he deserves because because the audience dictates it. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Like, and I like when they're like they're doing and Cena's kind of like pretty savvy guy when half the audience hates him and half doesn't and playing with that stuff, you know, and he's, he's pretty sharp with, with all that, but you know, it's kind of like, wow, like you sometimes you got to go where the audience takes you. And I think they're just denying it. And, and I feel bad for the performer. Cause it's like, wow, that guy's stuck out there being just like, you know, but you know, like Vince's rights and just, I'm going to shove it down their throat. <laughs> sometimes it, you know, sometimes it will, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll work. So, but yeah, that, that's a, yeah, and with Roman, it feels like initially the boos were like three, four years ago were a reaction to Daniel Bryan not getting that yeah. WrestleMania spot. And so they were more booing the writing than Roman. And then it just became the new fun thing to do to boo yeah. Roman. And now I feel like people don't know why they're booing him. Like, I think yeah. he's a great wrestler. 
and you know, also there's just like you know, and and this is tough for me to say like, oh, you know, you know, sometimes when you got like you're shoving a catchphrase down a throat, like believe it, like that's not a good, you know, if people didn't <laughs> fart at it, they fart at it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you can't, you, you know. You didn't really pitch like smells with the rockets, you know, shit comes out of, you know, Austin 316 is a perfect yeah. example. Austin 3, you know, it's like we're going to say that and then we're going to bring the T-shirt out. It's not, you know, it's it's uh, you can see it with Matt or, Hardy, though, too. Like Matt Hardy cultivated this entire broken character yeah. in TNA. And then with WWE trying to do it, it seems like their whole idea of how to get a gimmick over is just repetition. Like he's repeating the same yeah. three lines or whatever when on impact when he would do it it's like every week was a completely new joke right and some of that is understandable you know because you gotta like redo it there and and, and do it for vince and you know at the you same to, like, time and I, it, yeah. I i was away from the wwe product for a bit but i i enjoyed matt hardy last night and i don't know if some of that became redundant for you already but i'm certainly glad to see you know he's out there as a true weirdo <laughs> you know yeah. and, and and if to into like because I think that's an example for like Bray Wyatt like oh man his stuff came out it was so fresh but it, you know it's like man at a certain point it's like oh yeah he's doing the Manson thing and like shit gets like overexposed so fast yeah but... down, you know and 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 that's why it's just hard to be like you know I never want to like shit on any of the wrestlers that my my point it's just like wow it's tough to keep that that level of just like, I'm sinister, I'm sinister, you know, it's like, you know, even like, what's so great about The Undertaker, like sparingly spoke this and, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and very, you know, like, you know, diminishing returns to stuff. So you got to like worry, wa watch that. So, you know, as far as like, it was good to see, you know, like, oh, Bray, Bray Wyatt's great, you know, because he gets the business and he, you know, and he, he, you know, lets people go over on him all the time, which is good because like he'll he's young, he'll get his stuff, and you know that's 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 part of it. So I appreciate that. Uh, For certainly. me, with Bray Wyatt, I think the problem is that his character hasn't evolved at all yeah. since his debut. It's the same exact ca character beats they were hitting like two or three years ago, and like you said, it gets just redundant and and boring, and I. I don't know. I feel like they kind of don't know how to write for that character because every like his promos now. I, I just tune them out because it's the same thing. Like he's good at promos, but there's no <laughs> character development. Yeah. I, well, last night was a little like hopefully they can because he seemed to be like, oh, I'm, I've been out weirded by by a weirdo. Right. Who... Right. Yeah. That's been the storyline between the two of them. Now they've been doing this now for a few weeks now. Actually. Oh, yeah. Has it? Well, because, you know, what it is to me. It's like. When you see a real psycho on the street, there can be funny, like or something. You know, they're like like a like a homeless person. They're like, oh, they're babbling. They're not talking like they're. I'm sinister and homeless, and you know, or, <laughs> you know. So right, that, right. I appreciate that Matt Hart in a weird way. That's like more realistic. Like, oh, this guy's fucking nuts. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, yeah. and he could have been doing that thing in the fucking seventies or whatever. You know, just like that. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Matt Matt Hardy totally gets his character. He did a, a Jericho podcast in character, and it was like one hour of character exposition for this character that he developed. Yeah. And it was he just nails it. He's really. I wish they they allowed him more creative freedom with with his storyline, which seems yeah. like well, weird. it's inch by inch when you get into the big league. Yeah, that's that's just how it goes. But uh, yeah, I agree, and I and I just love someone who you just never would have thought like. Oh, it looks like his legs are shot, and that style he can be because like it's just like 
he can fucking work it because it'd be like, yeah, just beat the shit out of me the whole fucking time. You know, if I, you know, I'm still fucking crazy if if you go over on me or I can go over with one weird thing. You know what I mean? He doesn't have yeah. to like, there's some, it's like, oh, I don't have to get my crisp. He's still crisp and he's still, you know, but in a way it's like, oh, he, he looks like someone who's been through ring wars and it doesn't matter. You know what right. I mean? Right. You yeah, know, the brilliant the brilliance of this character is it's not about the work rate; it's strictly character work. So you could get away with not doing all those high risk moves that Hardy was yeah, known for. And, and he still has a work rate, but he, he still yeah. looks like he looks like his legs are shot, and that's that's fine because he's like he's nuts, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that you know some guys that when they get older. And they're just like you know, and they're and they're just all like high spot guys, and then they're just a little slower because they're older, and the announcers right. are just being like, "Hey, he looks better than ever." Like, well, don't, you know what I mean? There's uh, that. <laughs> I'm gonna go that far, yeah. Now I'm not gonna mention any names, but just like, ooh, but then you know, it's why Flair could work forever because oh, he's dirty and he's weird and he sells and. You know, he's like, oh, and he's in, and he's fucking sixty. You still buy him as like a fucking crazy old man. He doesn't have to be, you know, this massive force like that. And that, that's that's what's always you know great about those guys that age like that. Like, oh, thumb in the eye, something weird, a oh, fucking psycho. You know, they they can he can go on into old age working like that. I hear you. Well, Tommy, look, I appreciate your time so much. I feel like I could chew your ear off for another hour you just hit like you just reminded me of flair coming in we could talk about that i don't know if you were there still for that and like the nwo angle that they did so much stuff i would love to talk to you about but i don't want to take up any more of your time all right man thanks yeah it was uh it was fun it's always interesting uh even for me to be like oh god i don't remember oh right yeah there was that i think i'm gonna have to go look at all this stuff and try to remember more stuff that comes back because it's just you know, sometimes like that Austin story, like you tell, you know, even the people involved. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> like they just burn through that shit. It's amazing. Yeah. It just happens so fast while you're in it. You don't take a step back to think about everything that yeah. goes into it. And even I feel bad because I'm always conflicted because like, you know, the smart marks and the, mm, they should do this. And and certainly in some ways I'm, I'm one of them with a, a, a little more insight, but mm-hmm. I, I always have to like end on. This fucking machine is still cranking out thousands of hours of TV and doing it at a high level. So, you know, it's I'm still in in awe of that and in respect of that. You know, right? Yeah. There's 52 I, weeks of original programming. Yeah. Six hours I, a week. Yeah. I critique it and not necessarily criticize. I always want to end on that. Like, okay, that's that's still fucking amazing. So. Good work awesome. to all involved. All well, right, you have an open invite to come back on the show whenever you want. If you do find yourself getting nostalgic watching these wrestling <laughs> matches and want to talk more about them, I would love to talk to you about them. All right, man. All right. Hey, cool. and the only thing I got to to um to promote is oh, yeah, of uh, course. my dog's Instagram, Curtis the Dog with a K. Curtis the Dog with a K. One word, Curtis the Dog. Huge. What kind of dog is it? Oh, he's a half husky, quarter child, quarter Samoyed, right from the streets of Chinatown Echo Park, Los Angeles. Wonderful. Uh, good guy. All right, man. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tommy. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. It was fun. See you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. I feel I could have talked to Tommy for at least another hour, but, you know, he was already being very generous with his time, so I didn't want to take up way too much of it. But thank you so much to Tommy. Uh, for being super, super cool and and, and talking. And even uh, at the end, we got some Elimination Chamber opinions from him. 
And, you know, I thought the show was, it was there. It wasn't necessarily bad, but I thought the uh, Ronda Rousey segment was perhaps like, if you think about the least they could possibly do with Ronda Rousey, that's how I feel the segment turned out. It was, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens on Raw tonight, but I wasn't too excited about it. I guess if I if I were to say something positive is at least the fans by the end of it reacted properly to her. Although at the beginning it didn't sound like they were reacting properly to her. But for, to keep things positive, as I like to do here on the Sword Circle Pit, I will tell you that the best match I saw this weekend was not at WWE Elimination Chamber, but it was at New Japan's Ring of Honor crossover show, Honor Rising, specifically Night 2, which saw the return of the Golden Lovers, which is Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega taking on Cody and Marty Skrull as the Bullet Club has divided. Now, I don't know if you've been following this Kenny Omega story. It's been going on for a few months now with him and Cody kind of battling for who is the leader of the Bullet Club. But it is, in my opinion... And this is my opinion. It is the best storyline going in pro wrestling today because of the ridiculous amount of nuance in it. Now, where is this nuance, you're asking? Because New Japan doesn't really do weekly shows well. You know, Cody and Kenny and the Young Bucks and Hangman Page, they have a weekly YouTube series, Being the Elite. And whereas when it initially started, it was just like a silly behind-the-scenes video uh, without, you know, much canon and storyline uh they started incorporating more stories from the youtube series into their new japan and ring of honor stories and with this cody versus kenny feud it's the type of thing where if you're just watching the new japan shows or you're just watching the ring of honor shows you could keep up with the story but if you also tune in to being the elite there is so much exposition and so much great storytelling being told where you really get a much rounder idea of everyone's position in the storyline. And it's been really, really good these last few weeks, and it all culminated with this match. And I'm really impressed with Cody Rhodes, how well he's become this full-fledged heel that I feel like he was always born to be, that he always wanted to be. And the way he's uh, being the protagonist to Kenny Omega's essentially love story with Kota Ibushi. You know, we laugh about it, but they're called the Golden Lovers. There's a lot of hinting at that. And uh, I, I was really impressed with how huge the reaction was for the Golden Lovers. Like, Japanese fans are eating this up. And uh, it's been really fun, and I'm really looking forward. It seems like they're teasing for next month in Long Beach in California. It's going to be Kenny and Kota Ibushi against the Young Bucks, which is a dream match if there ever was one. And between that and Jushin Liger versus Rey Mysterio, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bummed that I didn't get tickets for this Long Beach show and, and flew out to California for it. But I was just out there for Nam. It would have been too much. I'll just watch it on TV. But I'm very much looking forward to it. If you are looking for an alternative with great work rate and, and good storytelling, I would highly recommend giving New Japan a shot. If you don't know where to start, start Friday nights on Access TV. They have a weekly show. It's a little behind uh, where the the, the storylines are. Like They basically redub shows from a few months ago with Jim Ross's commentary on it, which is a treat in and of itself. 
And that's a good way to start getting into it. And then you'll, if you're in any metal, uh, I mean, in wrestling social groups or, or on the wrestling subreddit, R Squared Circle, you will definitely know when the big New Japan events are coming. And they're definitely worth getting into. It's definitely worth taking the time to get into New Japan. I'll leave you with that. And uh, again, usually I don't hype the next guest, but since I already have the interview in the can, I want to remind you that in about two weeks, I'll be posting my next interview. It's with Bubba Ray Dudley. And of course, I'd always love to hear from you what you thought of the show, any suggestions for guests or, or any feedback you might have. You can always hit me up on social media. I am Rob Injection on every social media that I'm on, which is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also follow the Squared Circle Pit pages. I constantly post old wrestling clips, fun memes and stuff on Facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit, Twitter.com slash Squared Circle Pit. No E in circle for the Twitter handle. That's all for me. See you in a few weeks. Thanks as always for listening.